Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this morning and that we have, Lord, this freedom to worship you. And interestingly, in Honduras, they also have that freedom. But Lord, what they lack is something that we have so much of, and that is money. And yet what they have is something that we lack so often, and that is true joy and freedom. And so, Father, we pray that this day that you would meet both of our needs. For the Honduran people, we pray that you would continue to meet their physical needs, continue to use world gospel outreach to help them to get those things that they need to live a life of health and of hope. And for us, Lord, the freedom that they have when they know Jesus, a freedom that frees them with joy and hope and love for others. And so, Father, we pray that today we might learn of this freedom, that we might know how to live for you and what you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We appreciate things um, when we realize how far we have fallen. And so I have a, a confession um, to share with you today. Um, not many people know this, but um, I've been in prison. And um, I was sent to prison um, once, and uh, this was many years ago, and it was out in Ventura. And um, I remember just being really scared. And I remember like going up to the prison knowing that I was walking in, and a friend had taken me, had gone with me, and um, you know, I had to go through the process of going through the security and um, of being, you know, they put that thing around you, make sure you don't have any metal, and then walking in. And I remember, like, the doors closing and, and being um, locked behind me and, and walking through and, and seeing all the other inmates in there. And, and I kept thinking, you know, I'm innocent. You know, I, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, but here I was in jail. And, um, and so, you know, I, I got through to where I was supposed to go, and um, they left me there for a little while, and then, um, and then they brought another inmate to see me, and, um, and that's why I was sent there. Um, I was sent to visit um, this other inmate. Um, did I get you? Okay. Um, and I'd been sent by God. I was sent to jail by God. Um, to go and visit this young man who had been uh, caught in a very serious uh, crime. Uh, he didn't really go to our church, uh, but he wanted to be associated with the church um, so that his case would look a little better to the DA. <laughs> and so, um, but long story short, I was in prison, and, I, and all those other feelings I shared were real. You know, I felt scared. Uh, it, was, it was constricting the door locked behind me. And I got a feeling for just a moment of what it would be like to be locked up in a prison and to not have any way of escape and to not be able to get out. And I didn't like it, and I was so glad when I could leave. But I could leave. I had that choice. And we live in a world where surprisingly, most people don't want freedom. Actually, most people prefer slavery. Um, they prefer living a life that, that constricts them and, and, and ties them up and, and makes them do what other people tell them to do. Um, and yet, 
like me in that prison, we all have the ability to walk out if we want to. We don't have to be in this slavery. Now, now, you've been in that slavery, and I've been in that slavery, if you've experienced something like this, where you said, you know, I, I know I shouldn't do this, and I'm going to feel bad if I do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And sure enough, we do it, and we feel bad, because we prefer slavery to freedom. Or maybe you've been somewhere, and this was maybe before GPS, but you've been somewhere, and you were sort of lost, and, and you said, gee, I, I probably should ask for directions. But, you know, I think I can find it on my own. And so you, you go off and you end up getting more loss um, because you wanted to do it yourself. Um, another example of how I think we would prefer slavery to freedom because we think we can do it on our own. And these are the things that get us in trouble. When God has given to us opportunities to be free, but so often we choose slavery, And this is Paul's message to the Galatians here, in Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. He's telling them, I want you to experience the freedom that Jesus has given to you. I don't want you to be controlled by the situations. I don't want you to be controlled by circumstances. I don't want you to be controlled by habits. I don't want you to become addicted to things in this world that bring you into slavery. You know, I don't want you to be stuck in a place where you feel you can't get out. I want you to know you can always choose to get out, whatever it may be, whether it be sin or whether it be habits or whether it be difficult circumstances, whether it be trials or whether it be persecution. I want you to know there's a way of escape. There's freedom, and you don't have to be a slave. And so we begin in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 25. And um, I'd like you to read that with me. So you'd have it there in your outline. Or we have some Bibles here uh, in the inside aisle. Some people could just pass them out. And um, those Bibles are for you to take if you need a Bible or want an extra one. So Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. The Bibles that we pass out are the New International Version, uh, but they're an updated version. So they're not exactly like what I'm going to read, but they're close. Okay, so if you have it in your outline or you have it in your Bible, let's begin to read together, starting Galatians 4, verse 21 through 25. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. So the first thing that God would want us to see is that he wants us to be children of Sarah. He wants us to realize that freedom begins with God's promise. God promises to let us to be free. And this is the promise of what we've been talking about in this series about amazing grace, is that God wants to offer us amazing grace. And this is the faith that he offers to us. 
You know, if you look into an encyclopedia, even Wikipedia, you'll see that they'll say, if you type in religion, you'll see that they say there are four major religions in the world. There's Christianity, there's, there's Islam, there, there's Buddhism, and there's Hinduism. But if you also continue to read, you'll realize that experts predict that there are over 3,000 religions in the world. So not just four major ones, but over 3,000 religions in the world, followed by billions of people in different ways. But what Paul is saying is that there really aren't 3,000 religions. There's really just two. And I think you could separate all the religions and even separate Christianity of people who are part of, say, they are Christians, into those same two camps. And on one side are people who want to live by the law. And on the other side are people who live by grace. And so these are the two separations that Paul wants us to see. Hagar represents the people who want to live by the law and who tie themselves to the law and have slavery. And then the other is Sarah, those who are people of grace, who have had the shackles taken off, who know the love of God, that he loves us just because he loves us and he made us. And so we want to look at these two types of people as Paul describes them. And the first type of people are people who are law reliers. Law reliers. Um, you know, the most popular game of America is what? It's Monopoly, right? It's the number one all-time seller is Monopoly. And, and we have different versions of the game at home, and we like to play the game at home. Sometimes I don't like it because it takes so long. Okay, but we play Monopoly. And the one card or the one place you don't want to land is the go-to-jail spot, right? But it always seems to land there at the most inopportune times, right? Or you get the card, you go to jail. When you're in jail, like you can't collect rent or anything like that. You have to wait until you spend doubles or you have to pay. And so it's, it's a place where you are confined and you can't play the game. And I think so many times Monopoly really mirrors our life. You know, we're pretty busy in life, huh? Trying to acquire things. Um, we're trying to acquire properties. We're, we're trying to acquire homes, and we're trying to acquire money, and then we end up on, you know, luxury tax, right? And so you have to pay your taxes every year. You know, and then, you know, you're playing your game, and you're doing all right, and, and then you land on, on, you know, one of the utilities, right? And so whoever owns the utilities, you've got to roll the dice, and you've got to pay them. You know, and so you know, our utility bills keep going up. And then you land on somebody else's property, and they're not merciful at all, right? They've got a hotel on it, and they want to make you bankrupt. Right? And they don't care because the object of the game is to win. Right? A monopoly mirrors our life, I think, in so many ways like that. that. That we are seeking to go through life acquiring things, and yet throughout the game, inevitably everybody once or twice ends up in jail. And that's what's going to happen in each of our lives, and has happened in my life, and has happened in your life, I'm sure, is that you have found yourself feeling confined. And Paul is saying the thing that confines us, and the reason why Hagar represents those who are of the law, is that those are the people who seek to do things based upon their own efforts, upon their own efforts. So human effort is what happened there with Hagar. Now, we go back into the story, and let me just sort of remind you of what happened back in Genesis, is that Abraham was a man 
who sought after a God. And God in heaven saw that Abraham was a man willing to live by faith. And so God appeared to Abraham and called him to follow him. And he promised Abraham that he would be a father of nations. And so Abraham began to walk and to live with God, and he began a trek to the Holy Land. But he also had a wife named Sarah. And God had promised to him that he would have many heirs. But his wife, Sarah, was old and barren. And so it was beyond the years of childbearing for them. And they were patient for one year. They knew the promise. They were patient for five years. They knew the promise. But on the 10th year, they became impatient. And so Sarah did what was legal in that time. It was legal in man's eyes, but it wasn't legal in God's eyes. And so Sarah gave Abraham her handmaiden, her servant, so and said that what you can do is you can sleep with my servant and you can have a child by her. That must be what God wants. But God had not said that. God had said that it would come through Abraham and through Sarah that they would have their descendants. But Hagar was given to Abraham and she became pregnant and she bore a child named Ishmael. And so they represent the people like Sarah at that time and like Abraham at that time who decided to depend upon their own abilities, to depend upon the law. Now, it also says that this law is the Old Testament law. So it's about the Old Covenant in verse 24. And that Mount Sinai, which is where Moses got the law, represents this type of bondage. Now, that's very significant to the people who are listening to this and very significant, especially to the Jewish people, because the law is so important to them. They thought that by obeying the law, they could come to know God. They thought they had to obey the law perfectly, living loved by God. And so they are trying in all their ways to obey this law, but they never can do it. That was the original purpose of the law. It wasn't to save us. It was to show us that we needed saving. And so they tried to obey the law by their own efforts, but it didn't work out. And so they ended up in slavery. And so this old covenant, this earthly Jerusalem that is talking about here is the Jerusalem that you and I might see if we go back to the Holy Land. It's the Jerusalem that the Jews lived in, but they lived in bondage, not only to the law, but at that time to the Romans. And so this is what is happening to the people who are like Hagar. But God doesn't want that. God wants us to have grace. And God wants us to live like Sarah. And so, you know, when you're playing Monopoly, the other card that you really want to have and be able to keep it is the get-out-of-jail-free card, right? And so you have those things, and this is grace. And every one of us has this get-out-of-jail card given to us by Jesus. It's that God wants us to get out of jail for free. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. It's a gift from God. And so the second people are the grace receivers, and they are the new covenant. They are of Sarah. They, re they represent divine mercy. Because years, 14 years after Ishmael was born, God's promise came true. And Sarah became pregnant by God's grace. And she gave birth to a son named Isaac. And they then had the promise in their hands, the gift of God, of what God was going to do in their lives and how God was going to free them through this gift, that a barren woman would receive this gift of God 
by promise. And this is a great hope to you and to me. Because maybe there's something that you really, really want, that you believe that God really, really wants you to have, and you don't have it yet. And there's something in your heart that you just, you're longing for, but you just, it's never been satisfied. But God promises that even to those of us who may feel barren, that he will continue to keep his promise. He will fulfill every promise he has made to us. He will fulfill every promise that we feel we don't yet have. And he will set us free. This is the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the Jerusalem of the community of the church that we have right now and of sharing with one another, and of being together with one another. It is freeing to be able to be part of the family of God. And God wants us to be free, but maybe there are times in each of our lives where we feel like maybe we really are in bondage. We're not sure. Sort of like what Nina talked about. There are doubts in our lives sometimes where we wonder, is this really true? But God says, I promise you it is true, but you must wait. It must have seemed unbearable to Abraham. I mean, have you ever had to wait for something for over 20 years to get it? Can you imagine waiting and getting older and older? I mean, Abraham, 99 years old, still hasn't received the promise well beyond the year. It seemed impossible. But through this barren woman, through a woman who couldn't have a baby, God was going to fulfill a promise. Well, years and years and years later, God also had another woman who couldn't and shouldn't have a baby because she was a virgin not because she was barren. But she bare a child miraculously. And it was this child, Jesus, that was born of the Virgin Mary that has now set us totally free by God's grace. And as Jesus grew up, he was always freeing people. He was freeing them from sins. He was freeing them from burdens. He was freeing them from problems in their lives. He was freeing them from pursuing things that weren't healthy to them. He was freeing them from disease. He was always freeing people. And so we read in John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus is here in this passage, and he's going to speak to the Jews. And he says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so for those of us who have Jesus, there is the absolute promise that he will set us free. And this freedom will eventually bear fruit. And that's our second point for this morning. That freedom will bear gladness. Freedom will bear the fruit of gladness, but in God's time. Let me read for you verses 26 to 28 of Galatians chapter 4. And there it says, But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. The promise has come true. They are children like Isaac. They are children of Abraham and Sarah by faith. Now this quote is taken from the book of Isaiah. And it was a prophecy to the people of Judah. 
that they would one day be free, even though they were going to go through a time where they were going to be in captivity. But after their captivity, they would be set free. But in this case, oh, glad, be glad, O oh barren woman who bears no children, is speaking about Sarah. And is speaking to you and me who feel at times like Sarah, that there's a burden of unmet wishes. There's a burden of unmet goals. There's a burden that says, I don't have what I really want. You know, I'm, I'm 50, almost 59, and, um, and I go through different midlife crises at different times, right? You know, um, I think my first midlife crisis happened, you know, maybe about 10 years ago, okay? And it just, you know, it just keeps erupting at different times, right? But um, if you see me driving a sports car, then you know I've gone too far, okay? Um, but this is like what I think we all feel at different times. See, the midlife crisis is that you just feel like, you know, your life really hasn't measured up to what you wish it would have. You know, and, and I, it's talking to different people um, my age. Um, we all confess to it, right? And, and so Abraham actually was having a midlife crisis because he's 99, all right, but he lived almost 200. So he was really having a midlife crisis. Like, I'm 58, right, you know, how many people you know who are 126? You know, not many. I'm really not at midlife. Um, I'm really beyond that. But we go through these problems, right? I did my math wrong, huh? Thank you, Patrick. I knew. Sorry. I wasn't very good at math. Um, and so, so God, God wants us to know that even those of us who feel like I just don't measure up, that there can be fruit and gladness in the future. I mean, Abraham was 75 years old when he got the promise. He was 85 years old when he forgot about the promise and chose to do things his own way. And he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. When Isaac was born. Now we look back at Genesis 21, and, and you have that written there in your outline. Uh, Genesis 21, verses 5 and 6. I'll read it, you can follow. What happened to Abraham? What happened to Sarah after Isaac was born? The Bible says Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. God has brought her laughter. God has brought her joy. When she first heard that she was going to get pregnant, when, the, the first time, right, she laughed. She laughed. Oh, I'm not going to get pregnant. Yeah. But the angel said, no, you are going to have a baby. A year from now, you will hold a child in your arms. And she got scared, right? Because the angel confronted her. But then she still received the promise. Not because she deserved it, but because of God's grace. And she laughed. And God wants you to know that someday you will laugh. God wants me to know someday I'm going to laugh. There's going to be joy. We need to have faith. We need to continue to persevere. We need to have courage. We need to know that there will be laughter. You know, in the Psalms, the psalmist write, weeping will last for the night, but there will be joy in the morning. God wants us to know that there's going to be joy in the future. But Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. And he's talking about in the present tense. 
and that God wants us to have the joy in the present as well. And I'm sure that there are moments in your life, even when you're feeling sad, because I know even when I'm feeling sad, there's still moments of laughter in those days. And God wants us to hold on to that laughter now, knowing that it can be a seed for more laughter later and more joy. And we look back at the story of Abraham and Sarah, and we can see that they had laughter in the past. And we can look to our past, and we know we've had laughter in the past. We've seen God come through before. We've experienced his joy in the past. So all three tenses help us to know that no matter where we look at, no matter where we are, we can still see God and have the hope of joy. We can have the gladness of the memories of the past. We can choose to have joy today, and we can know for certain that we're going to have joy in the future. And this is the fruit, and this is what can give us freedom. Freedom to know that we'll bear gladness. Freedom to know that the jail doors will be open. Freedom to know that you're going to truly experience what you truly desire and that God will make it come true in his time. But the third point of freedom is so important so that we can continue to receive the first two. And that freedom must understand this. We've heard this saying many times, freedom isn't free. And that is so true for us as well in spirit. So freedom must realize that it must face persecution and sin and therefore needs God's power and spirit. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself and you've heard me say that, you know, we can have gladness and you feel and you can relate to my midlife crisis or you can relate to something where you feel like you're not achieving or you can relate to something where you feel like, yeah, I'm in bondage over a situation or over a circumstance or, or I've had a sin that, that is holding me back and I can't get away from that, then, then, then you and I who hear that need to know that there is power. There is God's power to do this. Not our power, but God's power. Would you read with me verses 29 through 31? Um, again, it's in your outline if you have it, or Galatians 4, 29 through 31. Let's read it together. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. And the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Paul is again reminding these people that they are free. But he's letting them know that though you are free, you're still going to face persecution. It's not going to be an easy road. You're still going to face the difficulties of living in this world. So expect persecution. In 2 Timothy verse 3, verse 12, the Bible says, In fact, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Now, we've been hearing in the news about true persecution, about what's happening particularly in Iran. But you know, it's happening all around the world where Christians are being tortured. The stories that we're hearing out of Iran about the, 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 the group ISIS that is killing children, killing mothers, killing fathers, killing families, beheading them, torturing them. These stories are because of what's happening in the world of Christians being persecuted for their faith. That is true persecution. 
And Paul is talking about that kind of persecution. And you and I will face a different type of persecution. You know, Paul was talking to them about the persecution that comes because of their faith in Jesus. He was also talking about a persecution that comes because they might be tortured, they might be um, dismissed by people, they might be hurt by other people because of persecution. He's also talking about persecution of those who are legalistic, of those who are saying you have to obey all these laws, and if you don't obey these laws, we're going to shun you, we're going to make your life miserable. And all those are true persecutions. But to you and I, I think there's another persecution that's not based upon legalism or upon the threat of death, and it's still very strong in our world today. And that's the persecution of license or the persecution of licentiousness. Where in our world, especially the United States and the Western world, see, everybody's taught to be free, but not to be free the way that God wants us to be free, not to be free, as God would say, to be free to not sin. But in our world, they want the freedom to sin. And for us, I think we have to stand up. And we will be persecuted by standing for the truth that says that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And people are going to say, no, you know, there's lots of ways to God. But the Bible says, no, there's just one perfect way, one good way, and his name is Jesus. People are going to say, you know, you can be free, just do whatever you want. But we are going to be persecuted and we say, no, you can't just do whatever we want. There is a right and there is a wrong. There is an absolute truth. There's no absolute truth. Whatever you believe is truth to you. That's good enough for me. Why do you have to push it on me? I'm not pushing it on you. I'm just saying the truth. That Jesus says he's the truth. That God's word, the Bible, is the way. And if you and I want to live in freedom... We'll proclaim that truth and we'll seek to live that truth and we will be persecuted. But we will also be set free in our hearts because we're going to be set the most free when we live the way God wants us to live. When we are not bound by the shackles of sin, when we are not bound by the habits or the things that we might be otherwise addicted to, when we are not bound by pursuing things that never will satisfy in the end anyway. And Paul talks about this to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And you have it on your outline, and, and I'll read it, and you can follow. Titus 2, 11 through 14. And there it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is freedom, to be eager to do what is good, to be free to be able to do what is right, to be free to be able to do what is good. To be able to know that you don't have to do what your body says you ought to do, but you're able to use your body and use it in the way that God has made it to be used. To experience in your heart the joy and the freedom of following after God. To have a mind that's free from the things that shackle it. To have the mind of Jesus. God promises us freedom. God promises us grace. 
God promised to us that we can have the gift of self-control through the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to see that in the coming weeks when we get to Galatians 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit. Is that God wants all of us to know the promises of life that he gives to us. And he wants you to know it too. There's seven promises. I mean, there's hundreds of promises in the Bible. But here are listed just seven. And, and I think these seven promises will apply to each of us in different ways, but maybe one or two re- really stand out to you. And so I want to read them. And as you're looking at your outline, I want you to just take note of the ones that particularly appeal to you right now. Just particularly, you go, yeah, God, that's what I want. That's the promise that I want to hold on to. That's the promise, Lord, that, that I want you to, to give to me. And Lord, I believe that this is the promise you give. Because these are the promises that give us freedom. And the first one is every promise God has made will come true. Every promise. Would you read with me um, 2 Corinthians 1.20? Let's read it together. For no matter how many promises is made, they are yes in Christ. Yes in Jesus. Every promise God has made will come true in Jesus. The second one is that God's presence is always with us in every trial. In every trial. Are you going through a trial right now? His presence is with you. Listen to Isaiah 43, 2. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Are you going through a time of deep waters? Are you in a river of difficulty? Is there a fire of oppression in some way upon you? The promise of God is this. His presence is with you. Thirdly, God is in control. Let's read Romans 8.28 together. Let's read it out loud. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And a lot of times I know we look at this verse as a hope, and we know that something's good's going to work out. And I think sometimes we, we're just thinking about that good that's going to work out. But the foundation of knowing that good is going to work out is knowing that God's in control. God's in control of our lives. He's in control of your situations. He's in control of what's happening right now. And therefore, number four, we have real hope. We have real hope. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Do you need hope? Then hold on to Jesus. Fifthly, God receives us as his own children. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God that God has promised to us eternal security. That if we turn to him and we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he will hold on to us and he will receive us as his child and he'll never let us go. Number six, our deepest need and wants are satisfied. Our deepest needs and wants are satisfied in Jesus. In John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. The, the longing that we have to grow spiritually, the longing that we have for God, this is our hunger and this is our thirst. And God promises that he will fulfill those deepest needs in our life. And seventh, we have an eternal home. John 14, 1 and 2. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And none of those rooms will have locks on them. And all of them are open to us now. And God is inviting us into his house and into his home. That his presence is there for us, that our hearts don't have to be troubled. That when we leave this earth, when we go through death, we will end up with God as we place our faith in him. These are the keys of freedom for us. This is the hope that God gives to us, that we don't have to live in bondage in any way, but we can live with the freedom that Christ has set us free with. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and for your promise to us and for the keys of freedom that you give us the key of Jesus Christ. 